Hello, my name is Adam Eason. Welcome to episode five of Hypnosis Weekly. Welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Yet again, in my own highly slanted opinion, I think I have a marvellous show lined up for you today. In a short while, I'll be sharing with you an interview with award-winning magician, incredibly skilled performer, pickpocket, and of course, hypnotist James Brown. Then I'll be taking a glance at some recent stories in the media where hypnosis has featured. Some fascinating stuff to share with you there this week. Then I'm going to offer up some personal subjective commentary on the ways that hypnosis is portrayed in the media, but also comment upon some of the content of those media stories. We return with our professional discussion with our guest, James Brown, this week. He and I will be discussing the topic, Are Hypnotherapists Afraid of Hypnosis? A question that James poses. May ruffle some feathers, buyer beware. We'll round things off with the hypnosis factoid of the week before I bid you farewell until next time. This podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback, do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website, www.hypnosis-weekly.com. That's just hypnosisweekly with a hyphen in the middle, .com. You can add your thoughts, comments, make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, or anywhere else to help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. So, first of all today is this week's interview. I've known James Brown for a number of years. Him and I have run rapid induction seminars together that got incredibly good feedback, not just because of the content, but because we had very contrasting styles, beliefs, and an underpinning rationale that varied between us. I tended to be keen on theory, underlying evidence, structure. James tended to wow people with slick skills, tenacity, and entertaining hypnotic phenomena. James even once tweeted that my morning's teaching was the perfect pre-talk for his own teaching. Bless him. We also have spent many hours arguing, debating and discussing at geek dinner evenings we used to run together in Bournemouth, yet we've always remained friends and found benefit in learning from each other. We have dinner together and our children have played and equally argued over footballs together. Here it is then, today's interview with James Brown. So I have with me today, and I'm delighted to have with me today, James Brown. It's my absolute pleasure to welcome James. And also, it's um, um it, it, it's a slightly different uh, uh, interview and feel for me today, because not only is James all those wonderful things that I've already mentioned in our build-up to today, um, um, but James is also somebody that is what I would call a friend, a pal, a chum. Uh, our children have played together. We've hung out together. We've drunk together, and uh, and a number of things. We've we've argued even together. Um, um, so, James, it's my absolute pleasure to welcome you to Hypnosis Weekly. Thank you very much, Adam. It's a pleasure to be here. So. 
um, for all the people listening, um, tell us tell us a little bit. You know, what, what, what's your background? How have you arrived where you are now, and how did you get into this field? How did you get into hypnosis? Well, it's um, you know, I'll give you the potted history because otherwise it could uh, it could go on for an awful long time. Um, my my background is very much I I left school. I went into the nursing profession following in the footsteps of my mother. Um, I did that for quite a number of years. Mm. Um, I, I was really fascinated with um, sort of communication skills. I was, I was fascinated with, in one thing in particular, always struck me as interesting, was the way that people miscommunicate with each other. So um, as I was growing up, sort of in a family environment, um, you know, work, school, all, all the other usual things, I would constantly see situations where individuals would um, have, have sort of big fallings out. Uh, and as, a, as an impartial observer, I could, I could see the, the miscommunication that was going on, the fact that no matter how hard somebody tries to explain themselves, it's very easy for the listener to misinterpret what is being said. Um, you know, as a married man, and I'm sure you can understand this as well, being a married man yourself, uh, you can end up having a massive argument with somebody, uh, which could potentially go on for for you know hours, days, months, years, even. <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, and and when you really sort of sit back and look at it, you, you're not even sure why you're arguing uh, or what you're arguing about. So this whole thing was a, a fascination for me uh, as I grew up. Uh, leading on from sort of the nursing profession, I started to get into, I, I interested in magic, uh, which was my sort of first great passion. Um, magic for me was a good way to start to understand how people think and what manipulates behavior. Um, uh, and, and that was sort of the, 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 the beginning of my journey into hypnosis because uh, although I didn't understand it at the time necessarily, magic is all about the manipulation of belief and about taking people's presuppositions and altering them, uh, working with them, changing them, developing them. Um, the way that human beings can see life in different ways, that we are very rational, logical creatures at times, but we also have this other side to us, which is uh, deeply emotional. And sometimes those two things are in conflict with each other. Magic is a great example of that conflict mm. where um, an adult brain will see something that doesn't make logical and rational sense. And then you have this beautiful conflict between the logical and, and the rational and that sort of emotional and creative side of us. Uh, that led to other areas of interest. You know, I became a pickpocket, and along the way, uh, I met you. Uh, and you, you are You're technically speak. I know, I know. I, I, I look back uh, with with fondness on the day. <laughs> um, he says, um, uh, "You introduced me to hypnosis." Now, I kind of had an understanding of suggestion because I was using it in performance to a degree. Uh, but you were the first person that sort of formally introduced me to the world of hypnosis in itself, um, uh, which I'm incredibly thankful for. So essentially my, my background, other than, you know, I, I think a lot of people that you will, you will speak to on this podcast and have spoken to will very much be looking at hypnosis from a, possibly from a, a clinical point of view, hypnotherapy, etc. 
my background is 100% performance um, related. It's yeah. uh, it, you know very very much about interacting with human beings on that level um, of entertainment primarily. Um, so yeah, that was that, in brief. That is my background. Great, great. And and I mean, where are you at as far as hypnosis is concerned? Now you know when when people um, you know because when you're at, when you're at functions and I mean I've seen some pictures and I've seen video clips and um, where people's you know jaws are dropping and and so on and 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 I think what tends to happen with performance is that people want to then go and discuss it. And, and have conversations with you about it and things like that and ask you what can be done about it um, or what could be done with it. What, how do you explain what hypnosis is to people when they inquire? You know, do you have your own working definition of what hypnosis is? And, and, you know, and how did you arrive at that definition? I, I, generally speaking in life, I've, I've, I've tried my best to have a very simple um, uh, sort of definitions for everything. I, I think that... Um, my my grandma used to say uh, her, one of her favourite phrases was uh, "Life is simple, we complicate it." Which years later I found out is actually a, a Confucius saying. Although I can't believe my grandma ever <laughs> knew who Confucius was. Um, I think that was just you know her own life experience had come to that conclusion. But as a general rule, I try and simplify things down um, and try and take away. Um, the BS, to be honest, I think there's an awful lot of rubbish uh, that we are that we are sort of constantly sold on in, in in our lives. For me, hypnosis and the place that I've got to now, for me, hypnosis is summed up simply with the word belief. Uh, I've come to the conclusion um, in the last sort of twenty years of performance life that uh, hypnosis doesn't exist in the way that we perceive it to exist mm. sometimes. Um, I think hypnosis is fundamentally about the manipulation of belief. I mean, you know, th these are classic examples, of course, but, you know, it's, say, for example, um, you know, I'm, I, I wake up one morning, I realize I've, I've, I've uh, you know, overslept, I'm, I'm late for a meeting, uh, a little bit of stress and anxiety kicks in, I'm rushing around, and I blurt out the statement, I can't find my keys. And it's loaded with emotion. Um, but most importantly, it's loaded with belief. I believe that I can't find my keys. At this stage, I've been known regularly to, um, uh, you know, uh, stare, stare at a table that only has four objects on it, one of them being my keys, and completely fail to see them. Uh, <laughs> my wife then strolls in, uh, with with a smugness that only she can muster, uh, picks them up, look, you know, hands them to me. Usually with the phrase, <laughs> "Are you blind?" Yeah. Um, and I have this moment of thinking, "How couldn't I have seen them?" Uh, and there's lots of other examples, of course, of this. But in my experience of being a magician, predominantly through through being a magician, I've come to the conclusion that hypnosis is fundamentally about the manipulation of belief and the way that our beliefs can override anything. I mean, absolutely anything. I mean, if you, you, you look at the nature of belief in the world and the way it works, that, you know, it's really sad that it can work in a positive and a negative way, of course. But, you know, uh, you know religion being a completely separate topic, of course, and a very lengthy one. But you know, religion, I think, is a good example of how belief can be both very positive for people's lives and very negative. 
I don't necessarily think it's religion itself that's the problem, but it's the belief behind it that creates the issue. Um, and it can override everything. It can it can take away our our morals. It can it can it can take away the way you know physics works in our lives. Essentially, you know, you think of something really classic like sticking somebody's hand to a to a table or to their leg or whatever. Um, you know, realistically, it's only because the person believes that they can't lift their hand that their body kind of accepts that belief and it overrides everything else. You know, right to the point of once that belief is locked in place, you could you could go through a, a deep explanation of all the reasons why they could lift their hand and that they should be able to, that there's nothing physically wrong with them, there's absolutely nothing in the way of this lifting at all, yet for some reason the person still can't do it. Right. Uh, so when I'm talking to, um, uh, you know, clients, subjects, uh, participants in the shows that I do, I tend to leave out all the deep definitions of hypnosis and just simply say to them, it's belief. It's, right. it is, it's just about... So, so hypnosis becomes a framework for affecting belief? Uh, yes. Yeah, in, in many respects, I think it does. Um, we... I think it's a it's a real it's a real shame that hypnosis is seen um, by a lot of people as being this this thing that you know you do to somebody or it's done to you um, uh, you know that's quantifiable in that way because I'm not sure that it is you know um, I, I I went through many many years looking at hypnosis as being something. Uh, sort of very linear and, and, and logical and, and sort of formulaic. Uh, and then I suddenly started to realize that pretty much everything that I'd learned about it wasn't necessarily true. Mm. Um, I think maybe that's something to come on to later, but uh, in its essence, I, I think that hypnosis is just about manipulating somebody else's belief in that moment uh, and, and allowing them to step out of, uh, of logic and rational thinking. Um, you know, when I think people, people who are good subjects for hypnosis, who are who or who can be trained into being good subjects of hypnosis, tend to be the same people that react well to magic. So, for example, um, if I showed you a magic trick and you spent the entire time just trying to analyze and work it out, you're not actually giving into and, and enjoying the moment. You're not really participating. You're holding back. Um, and in my experience. That's the same with hypnosis. The people who are trying to rationalize and, and, and explain it and, and pick holes in it tend not to be the best of subjects, whereas the person who just lets go and enjoys the moment tend to be exceedingly good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, that, that's interesting. Um, um, so, so how has that been influenced? Um, you know, who, who has influenced you along the way? Um, um, are, are there any kind of standout books authors that have taught you or things that, that, that have been real kind of guidance for you or teachers that have been more influential upon you that, than others and but by teachers I don't just mean you know actual actual formalized training um, but um, you, you know people that have yeah. influenced and, and, and molded what, 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 where you're at with that. In, in a way, no one specifically. Uh, the reason I say that is as you well know Adam I, I, I came to this in a different way to most people in that yeah. I didn't do formal training uh, to date I haven't attended a, a, a formal training course uh, in any way shape or form um, I've 
I've endeavoured to learn from everybody, regardless of uh, of what it is they do. So, so some of the some of the techniques that I now use in hypnosis uh, haven't actually come from the world of hypnosis at all. It, it may have come from the world of magic or performance skills or theatre. Yeah. Um, uh, I've uh, I've endeavoured to to blend all the knowledge that I've gained in any area of my life, regardless of what that area might be. And, and occasionally, I've I've met somebody who has no connection to the world of of performance at all. Yet they've been quite influential on the way that I've done something. It might be a businessman or woman. It might be a mother or a daughter. It, you know, it's it's just one of those things. I just constantly see. Uh, that the, you know the patterns emerging in various different people in the way that they live their lives in the way that mm. they do things. If I were to sort of nail down a handful of people, um, I would probably say that I mean, in, in, you know, without being horrendously sycophantic, you you must hit the list at some point just because you did sort of introduce me more to hypnosis than anybody else did, um, and sort of you you dotted the i's and crossed the t's for me in many ways. Um, uh, um, I mean, one of the things, I mean, this, a lot of what you say here rings true with me in as much as, um, you know, when we've run seminars together, for example, um, there's a lot of things that you've kind of fashioned and created yourself. Um, so, so has, has, have your influences along the way also kind of fed, you know, uh, some, some experimentation that's led you to where you are? I mean, is, is experimentation also a big contributor to an influencer of, of how you are? Yes, I think it is. Um, one, of my, one of my sort of tenets in life has always been uh, not, to, not to overinvest in information because information changes. I've, I've noticed this uh, in lots of areas, and it's not just been in hypnosis, um, but in lots of areas of life where people people overinvest in something, so they learn something. I mean, a classic example would be somebody spends thousands and thousands of pounds and potentially years of their life learning from somebody else, learning what that person knows, being you know being mentored by somebody. Now, if at some point in the future any of that information that they've learned is proven to be inaccurate. For some people, it's almost impossible to let go, regardless of the evidence shown to them, because they've invested so much. Um, uh, I mean, you know, I, I, I grew up in a, in a fairly religious household, uh, but I was very fortunate to have um, a father who is still to this day deeply questioning about everything that he learns. Um, and he taught me to be a free thinker. He taught me to, you know, to be passionate about what I knew, but to be willing to let go of what I know at a moment's notice should things change, should new evidence present itself. Um, and within this world of hypnosis, it's exactly where I've been. Um, so very much experimental. You know, I've believed something fervently. Uh, but then something's happened or, or something's, you know, I've learned something or I've seen something uh, or I've experienced something that's made me question what I knew. And I'm fortunate to be able to let go of that information easily. You know, I don't feel, I don't feel that it defines me directly. Um, I'm happy to, to grow and to change. Uh, and what I, 
what I believe now and what I know now is distinctly different to what I believed and knew a year ago and certainly five years ago. Sure. Um, well, that, so, that's interesting because, I, I mean, um, um, one of the questions that, that, that I was going to lead to is, you know, when, when you started out, you know, looking at hypnosis and knowing the things that you know now um, with regards to hypnosis and the way in which you use it, would, would there be anything that you do differently? Um, is there any advice you'd give to that younger version of you or any advice you'd extend to people that are then sort of stepping out with hypnosis careers now? Um, it, you see, this is a tricky one, tricky one because I've, I've sort of wrestled with this quite a lot um, over the years because one of the things that, in a way defines my practice today is that I don't see hypnosis as a formula in any sense. I don't look at hypnosis as being formulaic. I don't see it as being do, you know, do X, do I. I mean, for example, I don't at all now buy into the idea of, um, uh, of the formula of uh, sort of pre-talk in, induce hypnosis, deepen hypnosis, give suggestion, wake up, etc. Sure. I'm happy to, to leave all of that behind. Um, and and I, I think the, what I would tell my younger self would be exactly that, to, to not be restricted by the rules and the regulations that have come about. Um, I think that within life in general but you know certainly within hypnosis as it stands there are a lot of very restrictive uh, rules and practices I mean a, a simple example would be um, the the notion of uh, uh, the importance of safely waking somebody up out of hypnosis now I, I've got and I'm very comfortable with this now but I've got to the position where because I absolutely don't believe that the person has been put to sleep in any sense whatsoever uh, I now don't see any rational reason to wake them up mm. why wake somebody up when they're not asleep is essentially what I'm, I'm saying uh, however freedom from rules and restrictions could arguably only come about once you understand what the rules and restrictions are uh, and once you've developed through that time uh, if you know, so so essentially, I have to look at it from the point of view that this is a journey. Um, it's a little bit like many many years ago, I did martial arts, um, and every single week that I went to to do my training, I would spend half an hour learning the basics. So standing there and repeatedly punching and kicking in a very you know military style, and. It was only after many years of doing that that I suddenly had the freedom not to do that anymore. If, do you understand what I'm, yeah. what I'm coming to here? Yeah. So while I think you, any, any good practitioner of hypnosis should ideally come to a point in their, in their life where they are no longer restricted by the rules and the regulations, maybe you need those... Uh, to begin with, maybe you need that structure in your life to start off with. Sure. It's kind of it's a, it's a very deep debate that one. If I'm honest, um, you know, I, I've I've got two children. Uh, one of them is uh, nearly eighteen. The other one is three. 
the older one, we very much followed the rules. You know, we structured his life. We, 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 we absolutely bought into all of the importance of, you know, children need structure. You know, um, you know they, 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 must, they must wake up and go to bed at the same time. Meal times must be at the same time. Um, you know, deviation from this is a bad thing. And we bought into all of that kind of childhood stuff. Uh, now I'm older, um, I'm not going to suggest that I'm necessarily wiser, but I'm certainly older. Uh, with Charlie, we are very different. Um, I'm, I'm, much, I'm much more relaxed and lenient as a father. Uh, things that I would have absolutely chastised my elder son for as he grew up, I'm now looking at as not being as important, as not being in, you know, enough of an importance to tell him off for. And similarly, within this world of hypnosis, there are things that I thought were important uh, when I first began, and now I'm looking at from, uh, from a very different perspective. But I don't think I could have got here without that, that growth and that structure. Sure. Sure, sure. Um, so, so, so you're hearing, you're hearing this live, folks. James Brown is just taking the rule book, tearing it in half, and throwing it out of the window. <laughs> now, um, um, actually, sorry, just on that subject, I'm, it's it's something I've 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 written about and I'm very passionate about. Uh, I'm I'm a firm believer that um, uh, rules aren't actually a good thing. Uh, I think that we. We presume that they are a necessity. We have this notion in our lives that if you take away rules, you have chaos. Um, I don't actually believe that's true. And I think there is, oddly enough, evidence to the contrary. Um, I think that what rules do is they... Uh, the, I think rules are mostly designed to, uh, to control other people as opposed to ourselves. And if you look at the nature of rules, most rules are very much about what you can't do as opposed to what I can't do. Uh, and sometimes rules are created to to justify our own position. You know, in magic, I, I, I grew up hearing lots of rules. You know, you can't do this, you can't do that. And, and over time, what I realized, uh, what it meant was uh, that the person saying it was, I can't do that. So when somebody says to me, you can't do it that way, what they actually mean is, I can't do it that way. Uh, mm. and, and I'm not convinced that that is a good way to progress and grow. And if you look back in history, um, most of the people that have taken things forward in leaps and bounds, uh, whether that be in art or technology uh, or, or otherwise, have done so because they have refused to conform to the mold. They have, they have looked at it and said, do you know what? We don't have to agree with these rules. We can we can make our own path. We can develop and and, uh, and and grow outside of the boundaries that we've been set. Sure, sure. I mean, this is this is just downright anarchy that's just kicking off here. Um, now, tell me, James, what has? Um, I mean, you've seen some impressive applications of hypnosis because you know I, 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 I've encountered you doing uh, lots of impressive applications of hypnosis. Um, um, what? What is it? What is it that, that what, what have been the most impressive applications of hypnosis that you've directly witnessed and encountered, either either via yourself or or, or, or other people doing? Um, what what's some of the stuff that's impressed you more? The, the three things the, there are three things that spring to mind, very very different in, in and of themselves. Uh, the first one, which which might seem um, odd, because it's it's not a good application of hypnosis by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a very powerful application that I've seen. 
And that's um, when I first went online and looked at um, uh, the preacher, Benny Hinn, um, and then subsequently decided to, to trawl around sort of various uh, spiritual style churches and bits and pieces uh, out of uh, out of curiosity yeah. than anything else um, but what I found fascinating about this is is the, the level of influence that these individuals have in what is ultimately a ridiculous um, almost magical way you know this this guy Benny Hinn stands on a stage waves his arm uh, across the uh, in front of the audience, and a large proportion of them fall over. Um, yeah. You know, if you took it out of the context of being this sort of pseudo religious environment, and you translated to that to a stage, I mean, that would be astonishing. Just imagine, as, um, as you know, if you were like, somebody like Darren Brown, for example. Uh, and the, the the interesting thing about this comment is there was there's absolutely no reason why he couldn't do this because of the way that the people believe in him as as these people in in these big american churches believe in benny hinn and others of his of his nature that that he could just stand there and 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 wave and and people would collapse uh, there was something incredibly powerful yet quite unnerving and scary about it um, and I, and i suppose the performer and the magician in me finds that fascinating regardless of of, of the, uh, the 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 appalling yeah. nature uh, in which it's done. The, the, the second thing which is um, sort of impacted on me, I have a very good friend of mine, uh, Jay Noblezada from uh, from the States, um, and uh, he's he's got this uh, this little thing that he does, uh, which um, some of your listeners may well be aware of. I can't go into details about it because it's not mine to give away, but it's called. He, he nicknamed it the Sith Choke uh, for the. Um, hmm. For, for the geeks like you and I out there uh, who'll, who'll uh, certainly remember the, the glorious moment um, in the original uh, Star Wars film where Darth Vader chokes a man to death uh, from a distance by holding two fingers in the air, you know, finger and thumb in the air. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's an iconic moment of cinema, of course. Um, he worked out a, a method, or, or at least uh, whether he worked it out or whether he got it from another source, I'm not sure. But he worked out a similar way of doing it, which I'm, I now use to this day. But the first time I saw him stand 10 feet away from uh, somebody he'd, he'd met on the street in Vegas moments earlier. This was no setup. There was nothing. There was no sort of hypnosis formally going on beforehand in, in any way, shape or form. He just you know, literally shook somebody's hand in the street, said, can I show you something? Stood, you know, four feet away, five feet away, you know, put his f finger and thumb up, and uh, immediately the, the man began to uh, to cough, to choke, to splutter, uh, to the point where he was drawn to his knees. And then Jay let go, so to speak, and the guy revived and stood up. <laughs> it was utterly astonishing. Um, okay, there is, in, in like in a lot of the work that I do, uh, and that Jay does, and others of of you know, within my industry, we we are happy to mix um, uh, the real with the false. We are happy to mix magic with hypnosis, uh, and there is there is there is something else going on that facilitates this. But what this does is it leads to belief very quickly, and yeah. the, and, and and the actual effect of the person 
you know, seemingly choking is is about belief. Um, very akin to the way that sort of the witch doctors work um, and so on and so forth. But again, a very powerful application. The reason I say these are powerful applications uh, comes to my third one, which is a story that I've told many times in classes that we've done and you've heard before. And that was uh, somebody coming to me with a phobia, uh, having seen me at a show, uh, me doing a, an overly dramatic rapid induction uh, for purely theatrical reasonings, uh, and then ignoring the person for a few moments while I had coffee with a friend. Uh, at the end of having coffee, I woke them up, in inverted commas, and uh, told them that, that they were cured, and <laughs> they were. Uh, and the reason I put these things together is because, to me, all of these things go to prove, if you like, for the moment, until something else comes along, of course, but they go to prove what hypnosis is really about. And to me, that's about the manipulation of belief. If you can, if you can create, um, cultivate, and then manipulate belief in somebody else, then you know, literally anything is possible. You know, life-changing things for an individual can take place. Um, you know, short term, long term. Uh, whether that be th for theatrical purpose in the short term, whether that be for therapeutic purpose in the longer term, and also, sadly, uh, that can also be used for very unpleasant purposes as well, uh, as I think we we do rather see within the world of uh, of hypnosis today, uh, not always done for the right reasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, now, just because of where we're at with time, James, um, I'm... Where, where can people go and learn more about your work and your approach to hypnosis? Um, basically, uh, at this present time, the, the, the easiest place to get access to me is via my website, which is uh, www.professional-opportunist.com. Uh, but quite frankly, if you if you and we'll put we'll, we'll put a link to that um, um, under this episode as well. Anybody wanting Excellent. to go and look at that, yeah. um, and also um, you have a book out by the by the same title. I do indeed. Yeah, I have a book available through the website, uh, which is essentially uh, uh, it's all about what I call the wrongless approach, and it's it's sort of these are my thoughts on on performance in life. It's it's the book was not written for. Uh, for magicians or, or specifically for hypnotists or for performers it's written for anybody and everybody and it's it's my look on life on how to do things how to deal with situations coming from my background as a performer of course yeah um, but most importantly uh, it's about what I you know what I call the wrongless approach which is fundamentally about realizing that if you if you remove the success fail um, equation, then uh, you know life becomes easier, life becomes better, in so so many ways. Um, it's very odd for people, but I, I don't go into a situation thinking about you know what might go wrong or how it might fail. Uh, and the very the very action of removing failure from the equation has made. Um, you know, literally everything easier. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm able to do things that seemingly other people, uh, you know, struggle to do. I can throw myself into new situations uh, and get better outcomes as a result. But if I'm honest, the book describes it so much better than yeah. I just have. Yeah, um, um, it's a great book. 
Um, Thank you. Thanks very much, James. We're going to be right back with James uh, later on in today's uh, podcast. Um, um, For now, uh, thanks very much, James. And uh, we'll be back with a discussion between James and I in just a few moments. Now let's have a look at this week's hypnosis in the news. There is some very interesting insights to be had in an interview with the film director Werner Herzog about the release of his uh, 16 movie collection. Herzog the collection containing 16 of his films. Um, The interview moves to his film and goes in the direction of discussing his film Heart of Glass, whereby most of the cast were hypnotised during filming. The idea was to, and I quote, create a collective trance. Um, while the, while the actors were, were portraying a village community that had sort of lapsed into a collective insanity, as, as Herzog calls it. Um, The things that interested me were that although Herzog continues to refer to being under hypnosis, which is um, a pedantic issue of my own and and I don't really like it, um, but he makes some fascinating observations about this experience um, um, of doing this and hypnotising the cast while he was directing. And he says, under hypnosis, you are like in a tunnel, but basically aware, still somehow aware of the world. Really interesting. He states that he didn't use it to gain better control of actors, um, which I think was was, was an accusation le- levelled at him, um, as well as some people saying that it was a bit of a gimmick. Um, um, and he states that he didn't need that control, um, um, but that under hypnosis, as he refers to it, um, I mean, you know, hypnosis cannot be that way. And it really pleased me to read that. He said... That's why it was never used in fact-finding criminal cases. Under hypnosis, the hardcore of your character, of your existence, is still untouchable. If I ask you to grab the knife that's right here on the table and murder your wife, you would say no. Now, I've got to admit, I found that to be quite an extreme example to use. But heck, he's a film example, uh, a film director. Uh, He can use drama to make his points if he likes. Um, But I liked that he was not offering hypnosis in the way that so many Hollywood movie portrayals do tend to. It was a far cry for that and seemed to be quite well informed from some real life experience. The next story that I wanted to mention and talk about today was entitled... Woman thinks her way thin through hypnosis gastric bypass. This is one of a number of these types of stories. And I only mention this story because it's going to get discussed in a couple of weeks time when I discuss hypnosis and weight reduction with weight loss expert, 13 time world champion sportsman and hypnotherapist, Gary Turner. The hypnotic gastric band makes good media. Um, um, you know, it, it's it's, there's a lot of well, that there are numerous stories um, um, each week that make the news showing this approach to be successful and showing these incredible success stories. The success of these cases are great. What I'm interested in, however, are they wholly representative of everyone's experience of this method? Is 
the gastric band application of hypnosis really equipping people with the tools they need to maintain long-term weight reduction as a lot of the media stories um, sort of sort of portray success um, that tends to be fairly immediate success um, um, and so, so I think it's going to make some interesting debate. Do tune in in a couple of weeks' time when Gary's here, and, and we discuss that amongst other things. An interesting, and some may think a bizarre story that's been revived in the news after some former coverage quite a while ago, and um, I might, it was posted in my discussion hub a while ago, um, featured twice this week in the media again. Um, and it's about a woman who is using hypnosis to be more like Barbie. It's fascinating. She's had a lot of surgery. Heck, you go and have a look at the photos, you'll see for yourself. But it's also using hypnosis to affect mannerisms and also wants to be made stupider. The word used by the articles, not by me, okay? Now, the reasons for wanting to be like Barbie are something that people can debate and discuss. I'm, I'm not going to comment on that. That's not what, I, what I'm interested in. However, what I am interested in is to see hypnosis being used this way. I mean, if we just think about just the application, why shouldn't it be used to, 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 to form this kind of change? Hypnosis is used for people to associate and model other people very often. It's used to help people mentally rehearse behaviours and cognitive strategies. So this application makes, makes you know, in, in purely practical terms, tends to make sense. Um, I'd be interested to know what people um, um, think about this. And again, all the links um, to all these stories are listed under this week's podcast entry on our website, hypnosisweekly.com, hypnosis-weekly.com, www.hypnosis-weekly.com. Next up, this week's discussion. Um, I'm, I'm not going to introduce it greatly because I think it gets introduced fine um, by James and myself and so I'm just gonna go straight into that um, and it's entitled this week are hypnotherapists afraid of hypnosis well I'm back now with uh, James Brown um, when I was speaking to James with regards to what we discuss and what our, our discussion and debate would be um, there are a number of uh, a number of things that he offered up that we could have discussions about. James and I, um, we've not done one for a while, but we used to organise hypnosis geek dinners here in Bournemouth, and um, we'd sort of start a faux argument. You know, perhaps every now and then there was an undercurrent of reality to it, but we'd start a faux argument in order to get debates going. Um, and uh, and when James kind of offered up these uh, these different thoughts, as soon as I saw the first one um, that he wrote, uh, I thought that could set the cat amongst the pigeons somewhat. Um, um, so today um, we're going to be asking the question, or James is going to be asking the question, are hypnotherapists scared of hypnosis? Now, we've not prepared for this at all, so I have no idea what James is going to say, but I apologise in advance if there is something um, problematic that comes up. So... First of all, James, tell me, tell me what, tell me what you mean and what you wanted to say in this regard. Okay. Um, uh, it, having met now uh, a lot of people within the hypnosis world, uh, yeah. there's 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 been this sort of weird divide 
that, that seemingly has, has, you know, almost gone right back to the very... In fact, I think arguably you could say it went back right to the very birth of hypnosis. Hmm. Back to when uh, Braid first went and watched uh, Anton Mesmer. Um, uh, because I think there is this, this bizarre notion that we have uh, performers, uh, theatrical folk, on the, on the one side of this spectrum... And, and then on the other side of the spectrum, we have, uh, you know, the, the proper hypnotherapists, the serious guys, the, uh, the people who are doing the job properly and, not, you, know, you know, not messing around at all. Uh, the problem with that, I think, is that both parties could and should learn an awful lot more from each other than they do. One of the, one of the things that I have noticed from meeting... The, the, the sort of, you know, the right-wing hypnotherapists is an awful lot of them are absolutely terrified of hypnosis itself in the sense that they're, not, they're, they're worried about what to do with it. I mean, I've, I've met people who've, who've been practicing hypnotherapists for sort of, you know, decade or more um, who have never hypnotized anybody beyond the scope of sit in a comfy chair while I play some music to you and talk in a, you know, a smooth FM voice. As if you are, yeah, as if you are a hush FM DJ. Yes. And, and a big, and a big hello to all you truckers out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you, you know, I, I've met people that have never tested their work in any formal sense. The only, the only thing they offer to the client at the end of the session to, in any sense, prove hypnosis is... Um, is is the sort of the, uh, the the ambiguity of time? The fact that they'll say, "How long were you? Uh, did you have your eyes closed for?" And that you'll go, "Oh, I'm not. twenty minutes." And they'll go, "No, it was forty-five." And sure. you know, yeah. Sorry, so there was just so, so sit, there was there was some time distortion. Yeah, I mean, sit there. You know, you, you know, forget hypnosis for a moment. Sit with your eyes closed, uh, and try and track a minute. It's very hard. Yeah. Sit with your eyes closed, not trying to track a minute, uh, but then just randomly, you know, you sit down, close your eyes for a period of time, and, and at the end of that period of time, I'll say, how long did you have your eyes closed for? You, you won't have a clue. Yeah. It's, just, it's just not the way that we, we, we work. Um, some people can work out time better than others. Uh, some people's internal clocks seem to be quite accurate. Uh, but but ultimately, it's it's just a terrible demonstration of hypnosis because it just isn't one. Uh, I think it's also incredibly restrictive. I think there are there are uh, there's a lot being missed out because of uh, a fear, and, and and I'm not sure what the fear is. Whether they whether they're worried about something going wrong. I think we still have this bizarre notion that hypnosis is in in and of itself dangerous. Um, which, which again, I dis- I'd fervently disagree with. My experience is, is, is not that way at all. I think you, you have a responsibility for anybody that you work with, but hey, you have a responsibility in life full stop. Yeah. You know, um, you know if, if you said to me, James, can you come around and, and you know, help me um, you know, lift something into the loft for me, uh, I would still have a responsibility whilst I was helping you for my safety and yours. Um, you know, it, it, I think these these things should, in in many respects, go without saying. But we we 
come to a strange belief about hypnosis that it's 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 dangerous or it's real and you know all terrible things can happen and all this kind of stuff and the fear that is induced by these beliefs and these thoughts and these discussions inevitably restrict people's behavior and i think it's a mistake and i think that hypnotists shouldn't be uh hypnotherapists shouldn't be uh, scared to demonstrate hypnosis to prove hypnosis and my argument, and this is why I made the comment in the earlier section about the guy who came to me with a, phob a phobia, and I, d I just did nothing. I hypnotized him, woke him up, and told him he was fine. Um, the, the, the point is I demonstrated hypnosis to him. He knew he was hypnotized. He'd just seen a hypnosis show that I'd done. He believed, and it was the belief that caused the change, not clever language patterns that I may or may not have wanted to um, to, to put together, not a clever script that I'd written with lots of weird and ambiguous language. The pure fact was he believed because he know, knew it was true. If mm. a client came to me and said, I don't know, whatever it happens to be, let's, let's stick to the, the phobia thing because it's the easy one. If the client came to me and said, I'm you know, terrified of flying or something, if I start the process by proving that they are hypnotized, they are responsive to suggestions, and these suggestions work and are real, surely any suggestion of therapy is more likely to be taken on board as a result. Hmm. Um, I mean, I mean, it's an interesting point. I, I, I'll, 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 I'll let you continue just a moment. One of the, one of the things I would say um, um, doesn't doesn't reflecting upon time distortion potentially enhance belief as well i mean if 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 someone wanted to highlight and say look you know your, your perception of time has been distorted um, um as a result of hypnosis then then potentially if that advances their belief and they think all oh, right i was doing things right in that case potentially that enhances their belief i mean i would say that you know um also, if you were to just sit in a chair and imagine or, or just be given suggestions, you know, away from a hypnotic context, um, um, time distortion could occur and time distortion occurs in all kinds of facets of our life. I mean, mm. it, it's certainly not uh, an indicator of hypnosis um, um, per se. Um, the, the other point I, I also wanted to say is that Pretty much anything, you know, as, as Barber showed us in the 1960s and, and numerous authors have gone on to, to replicate and demonstrate, there's nothing that's exclusive to the field of hypnosis, i.e. pretty much everything that can be done in hypnosis can also be done, albeit at times to a lesser extent, with the use of suggestion alone. So, so I, 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 I'm kind of um, of the opinion at times that you know, maybe at times it it it's worth um, riding on a belief if it will advance self-efficacy subsequently. Well, as I, in essence, that's exactly my point, and I'm I'm with Barber et al. One hundred percent. My experience is that I well, personally, I don't think there's any difference between. Um, somebody having their eyes open or closed. I think hypnosis is about belief and therefore it's about suggestion because, uh, you know, belief, belief is belief, whether, it, whether it's belief that you've created for yourself because of your self-suggestion or whether the belief has been created because of somebody else's suggestion is almost immaterial. I don't think that there is necessarily anything specifically additionally powerful by 
uh, by getting somebody to close their eyes other than, ironically, another layer of suggestion. Um, and sometimes that is the difference. You know, I, I, I regularly, as you've seen uh, me do, I regularly bring people up on stage uh, with no qualifying of them beforehand, um, no indu in induced hypnosis in the sense of, you know, they don't sort of close their eyes and go into this state, in inverted commas, uh, yet I still replicate exactly the same things. Now and again, I find somebody who isn't responsive in that moment, and sometimes the, the antidote to that is to do an induction. Not because I think that the induction has the absolute power, but simply because I think the induction may well be that extra little kernel of suggestion that they required for the belief to kick in. Yeah. Coming back to the point, the reason I think that hypnotherapists may uh, often be scared of hypnosis is it's the proof. To me, the proof is about taking out of uh, out of context, uh, or they, sorry, taking them out of their context and their comfort zones, and looking at it from that perspective. Um, I think when we are, you know, we tend to have cruxes when we're scared of things. Uh, I've been out with many, many hypnotherapists for a drink, and the opportunity has arisen for them to do some hypnosis. But because they're out of that comfort zone of having a script, um, having a very specific, um, you know, therapeutic intervention to do, they they they're scared, they're worried, they're they're terrified of failure. Uh, maybe there's, I think, I think, there, I, maybe I, I think there's a very interesting point there. Um, um, being being scared of failure, i.e., you know, I mean, I mean, a lot of people that I've worked with, with regards to, you know, that, that they deem hypnotic, eliciting hypnotic phenomena such as a hand stick or arm catalepsy or something along those lines, um, um, as a, in a success or fail way. Whereas perhaps you know. Um, um, why not teach it to people as, as skills they're learning? I mean, obviously it's different from a performance perspective such as yourself um, um, than, than a therapeutic environment where I'm more likely to be eliciting phenomena. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I can quite rightly say to people, you know, heck, here, here are some skills that you're going to be learning to develop. Um, the, the other point, I, I will come right back to that. The other point I just wanted to quickly say with regards to eyes, eyes closed or eyes open, eyes closed also represents what a lot of people understand as a kind of conceptual framework. Um, it's symbolic of a conceptual framework for hypnosis. And when you have something like the model of hypnosis that I tend to favour and adhere to a socio-cognitive perspective, having the eyes closed is part of the, the kind of social psychology facet of adopting the role of a hypnotised subject, as well as, you know, potentially um, removing visual distractions. I think that, that when someone does close their eyes, what it can do is then help them to adopt that role. And when they believe in the role that they are playing, you know, the, 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 the context begins to help them develop that sort of cognitive set, that, 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 that positive hypnotic mindset yes. to be receptive. Um, um, I, I, do, I, I do completely agree. I, mean, I suppose uh, the clarification that needs to be made is that when I say eyes closed and eyes open, I suppose I'm, I should really be referring more to the notion of uh, um, aware and this sort of strange 
state that we that we yeah. you know, this the, the trance having like. to be zonked exactly yeah um and i think to me that's i mean i will i will quite often invite somebody to close their eyes um uh, not because i'm putting them to sleep not because i want them to flop over in a chair or anything like that but simply as you say to um to to cut out visual distraction um um to to sort of focus them a little bit more internally perhaps uh, than they were before, uh, you know, very much about focus and, and, and removing distraction. Um, uh, so, so, yeah, just, just to clarify, I, I wasn't suggesting that there was no benefit to somebody closing their eyes because obviously there were, there were many oh, benefits. Yeah. But I suppose this is, but again, back to the sort of earlier points and yeah. sort of drawing things in, I suppose this is my point. I don't feel the need to restrict myself full stop. So, yeah. you know, while while a lot of the shows that I do for um, I, you know I don't induce hypnosis in a in a more classical sense, that's not because I don't like to or or see a value in it. It's simply because it's it's not what I'm doing at that point, or it's you know there, there might be other practical factors. But you know, help. I'll um, you know, I'll use anything. I'll use absolutely anything at my disposal uh, to. Uh, uh, you know, to get to get the result that I wish, mm. uh, which is interesting because it's one of the, you know, it's a different subject maybe for another time. But you know, you and I have um, parallel but different opinions about evidence-based practice um, because I'm I'm a little bit more of the mind of, uh, you, know, I, you know, if I get the outcome, I'm not entirely fussed about the uh, the method in which it was occurring. Sure. You know, whereas I think anything not supported by evidence is witchcraft. Yes, yeah, but that's the thing you see. I'm completely fine with witchcraft. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, 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 but one of the points I did want to make there, though, I mean, one of the things we've we've done, um, you know, when you and I run seminars together, and we've encountered and we've we've demonstrated kind of fairly structured protocols in the first instance, um, and then and and then encouraged people to go on it and kind of do their own things. One of the things that that we've encountered, I'd I'd say quite often is 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 that fear and I think one of the things with giving people um, evidence and convinces that they have been hypnotized you know for, for me there's nothing worse than than someone leaving your office and saying to the idea that they're at a dinner party or they're out with friends and they're saying to someone you know what he was very nice he was a very nice therapist I was very relaxed but I'm still not sure if I was hypnotized. Yeah. Um, whereas I want them to, th to to be able to say, you know what, I'm convinced. I know I was. I was, you know, my hand was stuck to my leg, or or you know, I couldn't bend my arm, or the the the, the pen, the pen that he was holding was stuck in my hand, um, um, and 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 then, but also, you know, that led on to a therapeutic intervention whereby you know I was notably making progress that was being measured and so on. And I think one of the things, you know. One of the things that does impede um, hypnotherapists doing that potentially is fear of those things failing. You know, what if they attempt to, to pull their hand from their leg and, and it just comes away? And I think that how that is framed and under what perspective is, is a very interesting point and in how that's delivered and utilised. Because, you know, if you're telling people, look, you know, practice this, get good at it, convince yourself and so on, rather than just um you, you know you know test it will it won't it kind of work type of process i think you know you're setting yourself up 
for for a yes no pass fail yeah, as exactly. opposed to something which can become a skill that they develop that they become better at and more um more more, more equipped to do i mean one of the things that i've that, that i would suggest to to hypnotherapists who maybe have this sense have this feeling of oh gosh you know i'm not I'm really not comfortable with, uh, you know, with, with with taking that step. Is is to take hypnosis out of the therapy uh, context entirely. Um, you know, uh, I think it's uh, there are there are few things more uh, dramatic in in your personal development as a hypnotist than going out and doing it out of your safety con you know con constraints of a, of a therapy office with a client who's come to you you know it's you know, I've had this argument with with hypnotherapists and hypnotists for many many years I mean I've, I've had big big arguments with stage hypnotists for example who say you know oh what we do it's you know oh, this is this is the cutting edge of hypnosis and this is the where it, you know this is really this is the really clever stuff and etc etc my argument is no no, it isn't, because you have a hypnosis show advertised, and the majority of people who've come to it will will fall into the category of believers, or people who want to believe, or people who be involved, or people who've been involved before. Uh, you know, uh, if 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 somebody does a you know has a good advertised show and fills a room full of people. And still fails to get people under in inverted commas. I don't. I, I think there's something seriously wrong with them because actually, you know, you don't need to be a hypnotist. Sorry to say, you know, if you're, you know, I, I would love to do this actually as an experiment is to get an actor, get somebody who has no hypnosis experience whatsoever, but somebody who's capable of acting and learning lines, and then advertise a big show, fill an auditorium full of people who. They've come to see somebody that they believe to be the best of the best, um, and I reckon without any effort at all, that person would have a, an amazing show, because I don't think it's difficult. Because of it's, things like expectancy, yeah. because of things like the the, the, the context, because yeah. of things like um, the, the the openness and the fact that people are investing to go and see this yeah. and and so on. Similarly. I think we've got to be realistic with ourselves and say that the the reasons why that is aren't necessarily that different to um, some circumstances when people come to a therapist. Um, you know, exactly the reality that. is every therapy, no matter how bollocks it is, uh, has some level of efficacy with some people based on suggestion. You know. If you go, if you're, if you absolutely believe, maybe, maybe you believe because you're right at the end of your tether. Maybe you've tried absolutely everything else, and you're just now open to anything at all, and you're desperate. And you went to see uh, an old woman um, who um, who brews up tea, lets it go cold, and then squirts it in your face with a water pistol. Mm -hmm. But, but, but everybody's told you. That, that she really is a healer, and this is this is this is going to work. You would actually find there'd be enough people that would testify to its working, um, 
You know, you, you see what I'm saying? And yeah, I, I, I mean, think, I, I think I, I, if, if I, you want um, to develop as a hypnotherapist, one of the best ways, in my opinion, to develop your skills to get out of these fear zones to, 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 to progress and be better at dealing with people, of learning how to uh, reframe situations, is to leave the therapy room, uh, leave therapy behind just for the moment, go down to your local pub or park or place where people congregate and have some fun. If you're in a pub and somebody says, what do you do for a living? And you go, I'm a hypnotherapist. And they go, oh, could you hypnotize me? Rather than going, oh, no, no, that's not what I do at all. I'm a, I'm a serious therapist. Here's my card. Go, yeah, yeah, sure. Come over here. Because it doesn't matter. Sure. It really doesn't that. matter at all. It, you know, it, and your, your skills come to the fore more when it doesn't work than when it does. You, you will learn more from a moment where you've had to work really hard to get somewhere than when, you know, I, I, again, I think, I think that the sort of the fear kicks into it, but it's, you know, I, I've been out with, with um, like hypnotists. We, we, we used to do sort of, I think they still do them, but I, I, I don't have the time to attend, uh, sort of hypnosis meets in London where hypnotists would get together and just like jam and have a bit of fun and hypnotise people in the streets and all sorts. But what used to happen would, would be that one person would find a really good subject and then that poor individual would be the hypno monkey for everybody else for the rest of the evening. Um, and hypnotists would queue up to hypnotise that one poor soul because they knew they were a good subject and they knew it was easy. Mm. Yeah. And I yeah. think similarly, you don't, you don't learn from those experiences. We don't learn anything at all um, in, our, in our personal development by getting it right all the time. I think we do learn not by failure, but by experiences that don't conform to our expectations, that we now have to learn new skills or think further or develop more. And sometimes, sometimes the entire situation doesn't go to a, you know, the way we want to. Now we have a choice. Do we walk away from that and think, oh, I failed and never try again? Or do we walk away and think to ourselves, right, what could I have done differently? What will I do the next time that I didn't do this time? What were the variables out of my control? Uh, and what were the variables in my control? You, you see what I'm saying? And I yeah. think this is, this is where hypnotherapists do have an innate fear of hypnosis itself as in doing things i'm interested things. in that i mean I, i'm under no illusions that um i'm over the, mo the the more recent years of my my career as a hypnotherapist um i'm more well well pretty much all of my clients tend to come as a result of referral and um referral in and of itself is part of the, the, the responsivity that we get and that we derive. Mm. Um, there's a certain level of expectancy within that and, and so on. Um, and, and I can remember um, Freddie Jackwin coming to speak at, um, at, at the group that I run, the peer support group that I run here in Bournemouth. 
um, coming to speak and and making um, a hilarious quip, at least I thought it was hilarious, that the vast majority of hypnotherapists that he encountered stuck whale music on and slung a blanket over the individual um, and, and precisely as you said earlier, you know, adopt that tonality and everything else um, um, and, and began that way. And um, you probably didn't have didn't have skill sets that were that were required. And I also have um, a lot of people that say to me, you know, for someone that adheres to to evidence base, and for someone that um, you know writes about the subjects that you do and the kind of books that you do and um, is engaged in PhD level study and research, you know, how on earth is it? that your friends and pals with and listening to and paying any attention whatsoever to performance individuals um, and street hypnotists and stage hypnotists. And probably the, the, the stock answer that I'm inclined to give there is that, you know, as opposed to perceiving them as, as the bad guys proliferating misinformation, which, you know, that there's more than our fair share of that kind of stuff out there, um, instead, there is also a very important skill set to be learned and to be elicited there. Um, um, whether whether you know hypnosis in a therapy room is identical to hypnosis in other places, I'm not sure. I think that the jury is out as far as that's concerned. But the skill set and the stuff that can be learned and and adapted as a result of um, 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 you know, stage and street hypnosis skills, I think serves therapists incredibly well as well. Equally, I would say the, the, the other way around has to apply too, uh, which is why I've, I've always endeavoured to, to have a foot in either, um, you know, in, in, in either garden. You know, I, I'm not sat on the fence, you know, don't, mis don't misunderstand that. Um, you know, I want to enjoy the fruits of both gardens rather than than sort of, you know, not. Uh, and I think that um, when I first met you uh, all those many years ago, you absolutely were, without a shadow of a doubt, uh, a diehard, um, you know, hypnotherapy uh, individual who 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 had almost nothing but contempt for uh, those dreadful people on stage and in uh, you know in other. Sort of social environments. Um, I'm not suggesting that I've been the cause of your mellowing or altering your perception, because I think life has done that for you. But there is a, without any doubt in my mind at all, I think you are significantly a better hypnotist, hypnotherapist today, because you've been open to learn, to listen, to pay attention to, to pick the good from the bad to see the skill sets that they have and the techniques that they have and to use them, to utilize them. I think it's just a terrible shame that some, not all, because I know some great stage hypnotists who, who really are open to listen, uh, it's a shame that a lot of the stage hypnotists haven't been willing to learn quite so much from the hypnotherapists. Um, and I think, unfortunately, at the extremes of, of, of any spectrum, you have a huge amount of arrogance that says, we're right and you're wrong. Um, and I think that the way I see you now, and this is going to sound incredibly sycophantic, and I apologize for that. Yeah, there's but a fiver I, in the post. Hey, good man. Um, I see you as, 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 as having, as having come to that point where 
you you aren't arrogant about what you know. You, you you know, like like all of us, I think there was a performance arrogance. Well, it, it, it's it's easy but... not to be when you know more than everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> so so true. Um, <laughs> you know. um, 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 James, uh, we're 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 just about out of time now. Um, um, that's that was great. Thank you for taking on um, um, what I think is a fairly contentious subject matter, um, um, and it's always really good discussing um, various bits and pieces with you. Um, for people that want to learn more and read more and appreciate more about James and his work, please do visit www.professional-opportunist.com professional opportunist with a hyphen in the middle .com. Um, um, we'll put some of the um, aforementioned clips and bits and pieces uh, and references to James um, in, in, in the uh, website underneath uh, this particular episode my thanks one, one James in, one, in, one in particular would be the TED Med talk um, I think that would be uh, of interest because I'm particularly contentious in that talk on some of these subjects yeah you are you are <laughs> um, um, yeah, I think uh, James, uh, J James, James would have had some harsh words from me the first time I saw I saw that particular video. <laughs> yep. So so go and have um, go and have a good look at that. James Brown, my friend, thank you very much. An absolute pleasure, Adam. Thank you. So we come on to this week's hypnosis fact, the hypnosis fact of the week. Now, despite being seemingly magical, um, verging on being viewed with disbelief, a study has been conducted using hypnosis to speed up the healing of fractured bones. Yes, indeed. Back in 1999, a study conducted by Genons Rosenthal um, and entitled Using Hypnosis to Accelerate the Healing of Bone Fractures, a Randomized Controlled Pilot Study. It featured in the journal Alternative Therapies in Health and Medicine. Um, the sample was only 12 patients, so it was a pilot study. So, you know, it, of course, will require further studies. Um, um, but uh, all of these patients had fractured ankle bones. The, the group that had hypnosis sessions and used self-hypnosis audios during recovery all experienced greater bone healing than the control group uh, when, when they were checked. And they were checked blind by a radiologist six weeks later. Now, so, I mean, it's, it's not a massive study, and despite not having more studies of this nature to support the use of hypnosis in this way, um, there's some reasons to be positive and encouraged, and uh, the fact of the week was simply that there was a study conducted of this ilk. Um, I'll include a reference to the study in the notes for this episode on the website. If you have a hypnosis factoid you'd like to share, send it in to me and we'll feature here, maybe. Um, there may even be prizes if there's a really good one. Um, in our next edition, I'll be welcoming the world's fastest hypnotist, Sean Michael Andrews. I'll be interviewing him and we'll be discussing the effects that stage and street hypnosis have upon the profession and its perception. Um, I have many more exciting guests here in future weeks I cannot wait to share with you. We'll all be discussing, debating, celebrating and above all, remaining friends. 
To repeat, all references made in the discussions along with the related links are posted at each episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website, www.hypnosis-weekly.com. I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions and questions. Please do message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website. I'll make sure that they are addressed, answered and explored accordingly. Please do share this podcast, Facebook, Twitter, anywhere else. Really help us reach more people with it. My thanks go to James Brown once again, and my thanks to you for tuning in. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now.